Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and wondering whether the next presidential debate will give the moderator access to shock callers. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Rage quitting 2020 is not as easy as people want it to be, but it is the expected behavior. <laughs> Uh, today on the show, we're talking with Tessa Ann Taylor, Director of Engineering at The New Yorker. Thank you for being on the show with us today, Tessa. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, yeah. Kendall and Rachel, for having me. Your thing. And um, this is where Rachel and I always stutter over each other right at the beginning, but I'll just go ahead and jump in. You should Tessa, go ahead. about how you got to where you are today as Director at The New Yorker. That's a great question. Um, well, so... I'll, I'll tell a sort of longer version of the story, I suppose, which winds a little bit. Um, oh, good. As they uh, want to do. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll spoil it early, though. I was an engineer for forever. Uh, I studied computer science in college. But the reason that I studied computer science in college is actually uh, I went to a very small high school and I ran out of math classes because I really liked math, which I want to huh. like asterisks this um people think when i tell them that i work with computers they're like oh my gosh you must be so good at math i happen to like it but that is like a hundred percent a coincidence computers <laughs> and math like i always joke i'm like no 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 no. i tell the computer how to do the math for me because i don't want to do it anymore <laughs> um it's, yeah, it's really like just using it's really like using the fanciest graphing calculator ever because you don't want to have to work it all out on paper and do it yourself every step. Oh, out. man, I was so jealous of the people with the graphing calculators in high school, too. Did you have one of those? Oh, I sure did. I actually I was trying to make my phone do that because I was actually doing some trigonometry the other day for construction for reasons. Oh, okay. I was like, what That's on earth? Because you know, like when you're in school, people are like, I'm never using this shit again. Yeah, your teacher uh, tells you you're going to use this in real life, but you're not supposed to prove them right. That's against the rules. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely not going to use it in real life unless you're trying to calculate the angle of a roof pitch, uh, which is what I was doing. So unless you're doing that, you're absolutely not going to use it. I've used trigonometry more in this one use case than in my entire computer science career. So for whatever that's building a new worth. house or something? A Are you shed, building a yeah. shed? Uh, okay, awesome. Well, that's uh, yeah. You definitely want the roof pitch. I've seen uh, the examples of people who have not done these calculations, and those sheds are not watertight ever. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if this one is. Uh, we'll we'll hope. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm at least doing the math that could allow it to be. There you awesome. go. There you go. So anyway, well, so, <laughs> that was a good we. We got from you like math all the way to sheds, uh, <laughs> just right at the very beginning. Okay, keep, right. so keep going. So you 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 like making the computer do the math for you? Absolutely. So I was in a really small high school, um, an all girls high school actually, which was a wonderful experience. Um, and I ran out of math classes, and so my senior year, the teacher just was like, "Well, I don't know. You're done. You can get into college, I guess. So like, I'll just teach you whatever I feel like." Uh, which happened to be basic, visual basic programming. Ah, um, nice. And this is like early internet days. So I had kind of like, you know, been poking around on GeoCities and whatever, but I hadn't really gotten over the hump of, you know, actually getting in and, and doing this kind of work. And I just started, you know, really simply in visual basic and loved it and thought it was so interesting and fascinating. Um, and so that was enough to get me over the hump when I then went to college um, to start taking computer science and so I went to Smith College, which is a women's college. Uh, so all girls high school, women's college, relevant to the story because there was no one telling me 
that I yeah. shouldn't be doing this. Exactly. That's so great. That's so great. Anyway, yeah, carry that on. Is, that is a relevant <laughs> detail. I'm, yeah, that's wow. It okay. sucks that it has to be that way. It, 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 does. it doesn't have to be that way, but. Yeah. yeah, I was I was very lucky in that. Um, so I didn't think I was weird or abnormal or anything for taking these classes or for being interested in this. Um, and so, I mean, other than the fact that it's a pretty unpopular major at Smith, I mean, when I graduated, there were about 10 of us. Uh, that's changed since. Uh, yeah, I'll bet. And do you so do you feel like you, you got to become an adult and establish yourself in this in this venue as someone who knew what they were talking about before you got into the world that started to tell you, Oh no, girls suck at this. Has that, has, have you, do you feel like you've had to dial it back as a result like now, or do you just forge ahead? It's been interesting. I was always, that's always been kind of my personality is like, if all the boys were on, you know, doing jumping off the high dive, I was like, well, that looks fun. I want to do that. <laughs> you sound uh, like Kendall. <laughs> Except I'm very afraid of heights. But yeah, oh, otherwise. Okay. Oh, I see. So like this, the fact that dudes were doing this when, I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like I've had that, that reaction to things as well. Uh, but as I get older, I, you know, I care less about whatever people are doing. Uh, do you think that's the same for you? Like earlier in your, in your lifetime, in your career, you're like, oh yeah, dudes are doing this. That's cool. I'm going to do it too. And now you're like, eh, I'm here because I did this. <laughs> yeah, I, that's definitely true. I mean, I, I definitely take other people's opinions into consideration a lot less uh, the older I get, I think in a really good and healthy way. Um, I'm also from Seattle originally, which the culture is uh, very much minding what other people think about what you're doing. And so it's taken me a long time to unlearn that both as a woman and as a person who grew up in that culture. It's too um, close to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is so sorry all the time. Um, exactly. <laughs> is that why that's the, I, I've never heard of that about Seattle, that it's a thing, that that's a I thing. I find Port Townsend, is that's where I am right now, which is about oh. two hours northwest of Seattle. And it's like that here too. People are very huh. um, concerned about what other people think and they're very apologetic. And that makes for lots of calm, but not necessarily a lot of progress, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's an interesting place to grow up. And I moved to New York City kind of on accident. Um, this is, you know, later in my, in my life and career, but uh, I really appreciated the 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 opposite it like I feel like it gave me a little bit of the grit that I didn't grow up with um and it allowed yeah. me to be a little bit more of who I was unapologetically um which is mm -hmm. what I sort of yeah. love about it okay so back to yeah where this is we're sorry this is how it's going to be we're winding um, we're winding it's great so, so back to your you you finish uh all girls school all girls college um get into this field because nobody's telling you not to what what happens next what, what was your first job and uh where'd you go so that's yeah that's a great question so i went to san francisco because that's what you do that's um you and go. i I was from the West Coast, so that made sense for me just sort of as a place to go. Uh, and I actually, so Smith has a fantastic computer science program, but it, at the time that I went through it, it wasn't very practical. So uh, sort of the stuff that you learn in a boot camp is very practical. I learned the opposite. I learned theory. Uh, and so I knew that as a result of that, I was going to have trouble getting a job as an engineer because I wasn't going to be able to pass these you know, brain teaser programming interviews that they were right, doing at the boards. time. And exactly like that was just not something that I really felt confident in my ability to do. Um, and so oh. I, I go ahead. Sorry. I, so 
<laughs> so I'm curious about that. Like, like when, when you say the theory, but not the whiteboard stuff, is it like you could write the best binary search tree algorithms ever, but like on the whiteboard, they want you to bubble. So, you know, like I, I I'm, I'm struggling with what the difference is there. Give me, give me some example of like the, you were learning complex algorithms and those kinds of things, or you were Data learning the theory class, behind yeah. them. Yeah. I, what was... Well, so algorithms is an interesting one. So I, uh, algorithms was a pretty small focus in my degree. I think I took one class briefly. Um, and so okay. I did, I did stuff like robotics, graphics, um, you know, uh, yeah. the architecture. So like I could tell you how a microprocessor worked, but I couldn't necessarily bubble sort on a whiteboard uh, for you. Okay. So you had a hardware specialization more. It actually, like. actually no, but that oh. was just sort of how the how the degree ended up playing out. Um, they didn't teach HTML at all. They just were like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Um, well, I'm sure you did. <laughs> which, to, yeah, to be fair, but you know, it would be a class assignment like make a website. But not like just, you know, you'll you'll be fine, but never a single instruction in like HTML, CSS, JavaScript wasn't even anywhere on the curriculum oh, at this point. Wow. So, um, yeah, but uh, so I, I did go through a couple of programming interviews, did not succeed in them um, and and kind of knew that that was going to happen. Um, so ended up actually getting a job at a startup as a writer, which I am oh. not um, what <laughs> I I, I like a tech writer them. uh so a content writer um this was for a site that had um sort of career verticals um uh -huh. so like a social network for firefighters police officers hmm. um sort of stuff like that and so these were like early buzzfeed style articles is what i would say this oh, is buzzfeed wow. before buzzfeed so like 10 best cities to live in if you're a firefighter uh, so you really whoa. needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. Wow, Rachel. Sorry, I've been a writer this whole time. Too. Come on. <laughs> I mean, so yes, yes and no. So what, what was interesting to me about this uh, particular startup is that it was a startup in, in California. Um, and so what I ended up doing is I joined on the editorial team saying, this is not where I want to be. Uh, like, I am happy to be here. But ultimately, I would love to be on your engineering oh, team. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, OK, we'll see, maybe. Um, but within about four months, uh, I knew everyone at that point. And so they said, OK, we'll, we'll give you a try. You can move over to the engineering team um, and sort of get started there. And that was a, just a seminal experience. That team was really wonderful to me in terms of really, uh, there was one engineer in particular who really went over my code with me um, kindly, respectfully, um, really told me where I could improve it, um, sort of what, where I could optimize it. And that was what allowed me to get off the ground uh, with my career as an engineer. Awesome. Wow. And how long were you there? Uh, I think about two years all oh, in all. That's pretty good for a startup. Yeah. <laughs> and to, to this day, are you really unusually good at social media because you learned how to write all those 10 best thing lists way back in the day like is is your twitter following amazing because of the skills you learned at that i would definitely say no um <laughs> but you know what i i did learn which was sort of interesting i i learned a lot that ended up being very useful to me in my career because i learned how to write you know newsletters i learned how to write newsletter headlines i learned how to use google analytics i learned how to hmm. use all of these tools that now much later in my career are very very useful because that is more where i spend my time is sort of this you know the the data above it and what we're actually doing the impact yeah exactly did you 
Okay, I'm sorry. I, I got to ask one more question about this. Did you learn to write really great commit messages? Like 10 <laughs> things I changed about this code. Okay, Kendall. <laughs> Okay, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, so this career, or this job, you stay there for two years as an engineer. What, what happens next? How, and you didn't go straight to the New Yorker, I'm assuming. I did not. Um, so I actually spent the next, gosh, how long was it? Maybe somewhere between five and eight years. If I look at my resume, I could actually tell you. Um, sort of meandering on purpose. So the, I was about 24 at this point. So 24, I leave this job. Uh, I ended up moving back to Seattle for a couple of years and then ended up moving to New York. But I was sort of working for, you know, very tiny companies that were just me and one other person or me and two other people um, and freelancing mostly in New York with various ad agencies um, on purpose and traveling a ton. So I basically spent my mm. 20s like making enough money to get the next plane ticket and then going somewhere um, and sometimes working remotely while I was there, um, but just really wanted to not. I, I love what I do and I loved writing code, um, but I wasn't really wanting to do it in a nine to five office and was really lucky to be able to do that for a long period of time. Uh, and then sort of woke up one day and was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm all set. Like, I'll keep doing all of this stuff. I'll keep traveling, but I really want to go and be a part of something and be a part of, you know, a, an established company an established team uh, it really happened like just one day to the next or did something like was change? there one yeah was there one particular country you were visiting at the time <laughs> that really pushed you was it, was it america I'm was sorry. It, <laughs> <laughs> america 2020 is definitely one of the crazier places that i've ever been i will be yep. i will be honest um no it, it really was just sort of i'd done it for a long time and i was a little tired of the hustle and i was a little just you know like uh i i also so a lot of the work i was doing at that point was freelancing in ad agencies which is amazing i learned a ton uh as a freelancer my understanding is if you're full-time in an agency it's very different but uh awful yeah <laughs> i've i've yeah i've heard tell but as a as a freelancer working for an agency it's actually a pretty good gig um but uh, so I was doing a lot of these one-off projects, a lot of one-off campaigns or whatever, which is great because you get to see new stuff all the time and you really get to hone your skills. Um, but I, I was missing this. I was missing maintaining legacy code as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> that um, does sound crazy. Yes. <laughs> so and I really wanted to go. And so specifically, I was interested in going into an industry that was not historically technical. Uh, mm -hmm. And going into a big company because I wanted, having spent so much time in these smaller shops and smaller startups, I wanted to understand like companies know that they need tech in their future. They know that they need to change to be relevant. They know this. I know they know this. Why are they not? Why are they like, what's the stumbling block that's making it so that they can't do this, move forward, make these changes, use technology. Uh, and so I wanted to go see firsthand, basically. Huh. That is super interesting because like i've never i've never heard of anybody ha having that question before it seems like it would be the the source of a lot of great white papers a lot of uh discussion about how to improve this and why did you like did you find out why <laughs> are you going to tell us why <laughs> oh man I, w I wish i knew the answer to that um so i ended up at the new york times um so that was where i sort of even my initial bit of my career was kind of in media if you know in a in a very small way and then that sort of led me to be able to work in in media again um both both roles were on working uh working with cmss which i 
content management systems, mm-hmm. which I just have a very soft spot in my heart for. Uh, wow, and- I feel like we could not be more different in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I said no one ever, but I, I really do. That's so great. The world needs people like well, you badly. <laughs> and yeah, I want to ask a clarification about that. You're, but you're you're mid sentence, so finish your thought first, and then uh, if if you remember it. Uh, what was I saying? CMSs? No, I think that was that was it. So I ended up at the Times in in CMSs. Okay, and uh, and, and when yeah. you're at when you're at the Times in CMSs, are you? building a proprietary Drupal all day long, or are you like writing the code that does the like coronavirus numbers, like those little sort of in-app software pieces that are unique to news? I mean, which piece were you kind of doing than that or all of it? Yeah. So the, there's a group of people within the times who do the second piece of what you're talking about, sort of finding all of the coronavirus cases. Um, they're fantastic, wonderful engineers. Uh, I was working on the Drupal, uh, the proprietary CMS, uh, earlier in my time there, I was working on all sorts of different projects. Um, some of which, you know, were a little bit more like, how do we put social media posts out from the CMS uh, or sort of interface with other third parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the cool projects I worked on was, you know, those books in libraries that you go and, well, I know there are many books in libraries, but there's like one <laughs> set of book in particular, <laughs> you know, the, the one, the one book in the library. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, the books that newspapers publish that sort of are a catalog of, of their past content. Uh, they're called, they're called sure. index books. Um, so I modernized the system that created those from the mainframe uh, uh-huh. to a web app. So not microfiche, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, can, can you share cool. anything about the main... What Tell us about that mainframe. Like, what was it running and what was the migration out of it like and... Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. I actually have no idea. That was not oh, a part. Okay. <laughs> that was not You're a part just of the like, project. I have to make it do this. <laughs> exactly. I was on that side of it. Like, okay, gotcha. what does it do now? What mm-hmm. do you need it to do? How do we make sure it continues to do it? Um, and then we did do a little bit of the data migration piece as well, which was interesting. Cool. And, and then, then, so at some point you have had a leadership role. You started managing other people. At what point did that happen? So that was actually on the CMS team at the Times. Um, so I also, in addition to knowing that I wanted to work at a legacy company uh, and a non-technical company or a non, non-historically technical company, uh, I knew that I wanted to move into management. And that was another thing that I sort of saw in this startup world was all sorts of people moving into these management roles um, early in their career, which does not necessarily mean that they were not good at it or that they were not qualified for it. Uh, it just was sort of something often that happened to them versus being a thing that they had really deliberately sought out and sought training for. Um, and for me personally, I won't speak for anybody else, but for me personally, that felt irresponsible to me. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that if I was going to be in charge of humans, that I was in the best possible environment that I could be to be sufficiently trained in doing that. Um, so that was another reason why a bigger company was interesting yeah. to me for the level of resourcing around career training and career development um, and stuff that like that. That leads right into a question I often yeah. ask, which is, so they trained you. What Was it good? What kind of training did they offer? They did. Um, They had all sorts of different training, which was really great um, from just straight up management training to um, how to deliver negative feedback, to speaking, to 
they actually brought in a woman named Lara Hogan as a consultant, um, her mm -hmm. company, and she ran these uh, manager roundtables and other sort of resource sessions uh, to be able to talk to other managers about the issues that they were having on their teams, which it turns out they're all the same, <laughs> which yep. is like yeah. great <laughs> to know and hear about and see, especially when you feel like you're drowning in your own sea of personal problems to know that they're just everyone is having the same problems. Mm -hmm. Well, a, a lot of times I feel like that's the most helpful solution to your problem is to not go try to solve it, but realize everyone else has it. And so just to like be okay with it, you know, like, I mean, not. Yeah, just that's, ignore that's your weird, team. But, uh, yeah, well, it's, you know, ignore know. their problems. Just ignore <laughs> your people's problems and feel really good that everyone has problems and just, you know, wait until they quit. It does help though. Um, it does. I agree to know no, that you're not alone. Help, no. And that there are yeah. sometimes solutions that other people have already come up with. So, so you you, you particularly enjoyed these courses that uh, this, the roundtables and stuff that uh, that Laura Laura Hogan was involved in. And uh, did you read any books? Were there any other recommended paths that you take? Like, did you go above and beyond what the New York Times was offering in terms uh, of training? Absolutely. And I know if I say I read books, you're going to ask me to name them. So I'm trying to think of them really quickly. Before. You're totally right about that. Or you can anticipate. Uh, but if you can let me know later, I can also add them to the to the show notes. That's fine. <laughs> we will put you on the spot, but also you can tell us later. Uh, the manager's path is one in particular that's really great, Camille Fournier. Um, I also like the the books by the people who do Basecamp um, and Rails and all of that kind of stuff. So they do rework. And there's an, one that I just read called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work, um, which is a great title. Yeah. Um, there's some good tidbits in there. Uh, and there there is probably a long list that I will have to send you after the show because I don't Sure, but you're actually pulling out a lot more than a lot of people managed yeah. to write on the spot. So this is great. Uh, I will well, definitely include those in the show notes. And I mean, it sounds like you, you had more deliberate training than the vast majority of people that we talked to as well. And I mean, I'm curious if, if you look back, is there, I, I want to hear both sides, like particular great advice that stands out and or particular terrible advice that stands out. I will tell you the best advice I got, which was from my uncle, who is probably well, if I say he's the best human, then other humans may come after me for that and, oh, no. and want to also be the best human. So he is, he is just an, an absolute gem of a person. Um, he uh, and was a very successful manager and leader of companies for many years uh, and is also a, a human. Um, so I think he really led with his humanity, which is something that I always aspire to. Um, and so when I was officially promoted into this management role, I went to him and I said, okay, what's your elevator pitch? What's your like top piece of advice? Uh, and he said, train your successor, which it is not literal, um, but it was such a fantastic piece of advice because I didn't come into the role terrified and like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to survive every day. Well, I, I mean, probably a little bit of that, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I came in thinking, how do I do this in such a way that I could teach somebody else to do it or that I can write down how to do it or that hmm. I call it now paving the way behind me. Um, it sounds and, like it might've brought some intentionality to what you were doing. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Fantastic. So that was outside of all of this manager training, but just it was a, a fundamental mindset that was so, so helpful um, in, in getting started. Yeah. yeah. And then was there ever particular, well, okay, if, if somebody hasn't given you particularly bad advice, um, <laughs> who's the worst leader and why? Uh, <laughs> oh, well, oh my. 
it's 2020 in america right so is that yeah, yeah. yeah. say no uh, more say no more so um, what do you yeah. think that the hardest lesson you've had to learn has been in terms of leading people well there i mean there are many i uh i think the it's a really awesome responsibility and i think you feel that a lot in a lot of different ways um so i'll tell you the first hard lesson that I learned, which was somebody on my team was going up for a promotion. Um, and so I talked to my manager and said, I think this person should be promoted. And they were like, great. So like verbal, yes, I think that's a good idea. I took that directly back to that person and said, great, we're going to go ahead and like get this process started. I then went back to my manager and said, okay, we're going to get this process started. And he was like, wait, 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 wait. I met theoretically at some point, not now. And so then I took that directly back to the person and said, wait, 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 not now. Mm -hmm. So there was like 25 mistakes in this, but uh, it was a, it was such an important lesson kind of across the board. All of these people and I have good relationships now, like we were able to mend all of the bridges that I burned uh, in this huge faux pas. But um, so I learned two things. One, to be really, really, really careful about what you say about somebody's livelihood um, and only be able to really say something if you can guarantee it or promise it, or you can speak from a place of reality. Um, and the other lesson that I learned was to push back um, on the people above me and around me, uh, because this person, this person was ready. Um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't for me to go to my boss and say, okay, whatever you think, it was for me to go to him and say, no, no, I'm going to advocate for this. This is the right path in this particular case. Um, and so it, it taught me a ton in that very uncomfortable, very mm -hmm. challenging uh, faux pas, uh, sort of about my responsibility, both both directions, like both as somebody who is who has an awesome responsibility and also somebody who has to be an advocate um, for the people on my team uh, yeah. and around me. I definitely have had that experience of like, uh, under suddenly realizing that middle management doesn't mean you're just a flow through for what the person above you says, right? Yeah, yeah, you you do have that responsibility. And it's at that point when I was like, oh gosh, this is way more, maybe more responsibility than I want. And I went back to being an individual contributor for a while until I felt like I was ready again. So have you gone back and forth since you got into management or have you been a, a leader at, at that point you've been had had reports that entire time? Um, I've had uh, I haven't gone back and forth. That was another thing that the ti the times was good about. So this is all by the time I got there. Uh, my understanding is that this hasn't historically always been the case. But by the time mm -hmm. I got there, they had uh, or while I was there, they had an IC track and a management track. Um, and so you could switch between them. So uh, three months after I became a manager, I think my my grand boss, my boss's boss came to me and said, do you want to switch back? Um, like, how are you doing? Is this for you? Mm. Uh, which I really appreciated. It's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I don't know if I've ever asked, had anybody ask me that. Um, sorry, go ahead, Kendall. Well, did you have a follow on to that first? Or I do not. Thank you for asking. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. This is how we should always be. This was so mm -hmm. nice and cordial. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, Tessa. You, the the way you describe your career path and and even what kind of industry you wanted to work in and when you wanted to make this shift into man that you wanted to make this shift into management, which is honestly more than a huge percentage of people who end up in you know leadership roles. Um, you, you're you're very very intentional about these steps, and I'm curious. 
what's next? What, 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 what are you intentionally aiming for in the future? I mean, is, is this shooting for a goal of, uh, you know, being the CEO someday at some kind of company and what kind of company? Cause you probably have that figured out too. I'm just, I'm curious, what are the other things that you've already planned or, or hope for, you know? That's a good question. It's actually, it's changed over the years. Um, and I imagine it will continue to. So the thing that I, that I hoped for or hope for is to be happy and fulfilled uh, and whatever is bringing that in a moment, maybe longer than a moment, but uh, that's, that's what I'm really aiming for, uh, which doesn't answer your question entirely. Um, but that's, that's sort of, it's, it's that rather than a particular role or, or position. But I'm struggling to understand how leadership at this kind of industry isn't in direct contrast with <laughs> happy and fulfilled. She's not a she's not a reporter, you know, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that, directly with the nonsense. That's a fair question. I mean, yeah. I, so I worked in I worked at the Times through 2016, and I'll now be working at the New Yorker through this election. So working in newsrooms during elections, uh, we're not generally maybe, but these two is definitely. Uh, has been interesting. But um, so th the reason, one of the things that keeps me really fulfilled in doing what I do is, um, so I, I mentioned that I sort of had, you know, the two years in a startup and then this sort of winding path through various smaller companies and, and freelancing. I didn't work with another female engineer until I was 30. Um, wow. And so that is something, wow. and it's not to say that I didn't have supportive male colleagues. Um, I often did, I was very lucky. But that is a very, I mean, I was going to say it's a singular experience. It's not, absolutely. And that's kind of the point. Um, yeah. So m me moving into management is something that I enjoy. I think it's it's really, I think it's fun. I think it uses a different part of my brain than writing code. Um, sure. But it, it also means much more than that to me, which is that I get to create the environments that I always wish that I had. I get to hire the people who should be, you know, who should be working in tech, I get to mentor them, I get to grow their careers, I get to, you know, set cultural norms on the team, I get to establish best practices. Uh, I get to say, you know, this is how it is. And this is how it isn't um, with these smaller groups of people. Um, so that is actually what drives me most of the time is is this ability to even in a small corner of of the industry be able to really affect this change yeah wow, that is super awesome and inspiring it's that, like the opposite of dragging up the ladder behind you you know uh once you got to where you are you have the opportunity to make a way for other people who might not have had the opportunity you did and i mean it sounds like you certainly worked for this opportunity um so now you're at the New Yorker. How how long have you been there? I actually started. This is a this is a pandemic job. So I started in July. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. Happy so new job. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So this is a fairly new role. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been great so far, and it's it's fun. Um, sort of in this position to really, I mean, so before I've had the ability to set norms and guidelines and whatever sort of process on the teams that I've been on. Um, and this is setting it at the department level, which is better because <laughs> there, you know, there's more of it. There's more influence. There's more uh, ability to really have these things be systemic, which is uh, very awesome. Does 
um, that the New York Times being a daily and online constant publication versus the New Yorker being it, it's weekly or something, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, is you know, I imagine for and I my dog's going nuts right now. I don't know if you can hear that. I'm sorry, yep. but the uh, uh. Does that change the pace of the engineering organization? Does that influence things? And, you know, the the reporters, I imagine, at a daily publication are constantly, and not like everybody's writing one story every day, but I imagine there's a lot of hustle and bustle around that. Or, or you know, I'm really just asking, is it, does, that, does that affect the engineering organization in, a, in any kind of meaningful way or is it not really noticeable? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think it affects parts of the engineering orgs. So... Um, I think the the majority of the engineering org at the Times is is a bit separated from the actual um, editorial process. My team was in a weird place where we were the tools powering the newsroom, but not sort of having to operate at the speed of the newsroom uh, because we were trying to be slower and intentional about the things that we were building and have them be sustainable. There are people, there are engineers uh, in both organizations who are driven by the news cycle. Um, and so their their experience is very, very different. Um, and they're working on some of the stuff that you see or the stuff that powers the stuff that you see. So gathering data for coronavirus cases or working on um, you know, the the more visually intensive stories on both The New Yorker uh, and on The New York Times. Uh, so th- they're, they're driven a bit more by that news cycle. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, beyond that, I don't know specifically that uh, the, the size of the publication has that much of an impact on the technology other than maybe, you know, scaling for the election looks a little different in the two places uh making sure that those sites don't go down but you know not not terribly different because neither wants the site to go down (laughs) yeah well now so and as you're saying this i'm i'm thinking back to something you just said about what motivates you and um you know it sounds like that the things that you delight in today are the opportunity to create change that you're proud of um is there times, have there been times in your career where the priorities of the company or maybe even the attitudes of a boss have stifled some of the things that you really valued and, and uh, you know, you've ended up doing things or maybe not even doing things you're not proud of, but stuck in situations you're not proud of? And I'm just curious if, if you have anything that's specific that stands out, if this is the thing that really causes you delight has that been stifled in the past? Well, so I'll touch on another contentious topic when I when I give you my answer to this, which is uh, short stints. So I, because this is what sort of intrinsically motivates me and because I'm fairly intrinsically motivated, if I find myself in a situation like that, I tend to walk away from it, um, regardless of what it's going to look like on my resume. Uh, and so, yes. Uh, and my response to that is usually, you know, after a lot of hemming and hawing, it's not quite so simple. It's just like, all right, cool. Um, but, uh, my response to that is usually, so the way that I have learned to think about it is, uh, we have this term culture fit, which is horrendous. It's usually meant in like a very exclusionary, uh, way, but I, I will, I'll use it for myself and as like a reference point. So, uh, I can I will consider myself either a culture fit or not for a particular company or team or whatever it is. Um, and I've learned to sort of identify 
slowly and painfully uh, when I'm not a culture fit for a place. So when the way that I want to operate, the way that I, the values that I have, the way that I sort of bring stuff to the table, if that's not a fit, um, that's fine. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and that's the moment when I'll sort of part ways. So, so, I mean, part of the reason I, I asked that is it's, it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, particularly for myself and that you've gotten to the point where you've left is interesting to me. There's, um, I feel like, you know, I, I'm very clear on to myself what my values are. And if I have to compromise, you know, I, I don't ever for any amount of money want to not be able to sleep at night because I treated someone terribly or, you know, whatever it is, um, did something I'm not proud of. And, and I'm very clear about those things. Now that said, you know, every organization has shifting priorities and people that just fuck up. Right. Um, and so you end up in situations where it's like, well, <laughs> that didn't go as I would, you know, I'm not proud of how that went down. And, uh, and I feel like I regularly wrestle with some of the tension of, um, how much is it my job to stay here and continue to fight for the values that I have, even when I lose those battles? And how much is it my job to vote with my feet to make that change? Or, you know, I, I think part of the fear is when does voting with your feet end up causing the whole organization underneath you to just deal with all kinds of shit that you're not, you know, and, and I understand why you walk away. I'm just, I'm kind of curious how you've wrestled with those. If you have walked away in the past, um, you know, how do you make that decision when, when it is enough and, and why it's your role to leave versus stay and fight? And, you know, is it the, if I stay, I'm not going to be able to sleep, uh, or what's the line there? That is, that is a fantastic question. Um, and that's something that I struggle, I have struggled with many times, um, in, in making a decision to leave, uh, as a manager or as a team leader in particular, um, cause there, you know, again, it's an awesome responsibility. And so there's a, there's a cost when you make a decision like that. Uh, and so that's sort of why I talk about, uh, culture fit is if I feel like there's an avenue for me to affect this change, absolutely. I'll stay. Um, hmm. I'll affect change. I will make an, an organization or a team better, or at least in my image of better. Um, if there isn't, or if what I'm trying to do is fundamentally at odds with whatever level of management is relevant. Uh, I won't. And that to me is not me failing to protect the people under me. That is the company failing to protect them. And mm. I'm stepping out of the way of that uh, because it's not my burden. Uh, mm -hmm. well, I like that right you're very clear on that. I am too. And it leads right into a question that we, we ask everyone, which is, what is your relationship with authority? And uh, how do you feel about having authority over other people? And uh, how do you feel about those people having authority over you? That, or not that, those people, but people in general. <laughs> I think I think I would like to, I think I, I strive to question authority more than I do. I think that that's an area where I still struggle sometimes. Uh, I, I tend to think if somebody with authority is saying something, it must be right. You know, asterisks. Maybe not all types were, of authority. Were you a well-behaved child? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think decently. Um, mm -hmm. So, but I I you know I defer to authority, but I also am intrinsically motivated. So I'm not motivated by authority, which is an interesting balance. Uh, mm -hmm. So I won't do something unless I want to, but I do I do defer more than I wish that I did. But that's also been an interesting learning uh sort of the story that i talked about with flubbing somebody's promotion that was that was an early learning on 
uh, questioning authority and and really being able to push back and ha- and not a- not only developing the ability but understanding that it's my responsibility to push back. Uh huh. Okay. And and so you th- it sounds like you I mean, you do have a different relationship with authority than you do when you were younger. Uh, how is it different? Uh, do you think? It sounds like you think it's better now. It sounds like it to me. Um, but how did you develop that original that original relationship to authority? Uh, sort of being more deferential. I think that probably is also a bit of a Seattle cultural thing. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, also being white, um, which I know that if you're listening to a podcast, you can't see that, but um, I'm a white American. And so the police are, you know, will generally be more in my favor. And so I don't, I didn't have to learn to question authority in quite the uh, same way as early in my yeah. life. Uh, and, and authority structures, uh, at least along that line are, are built for me. Uh, that is a deep and excellent point to make, and I'm glad yeah. you made it. Um, and I feel a little weird going from a heavy point, but we're getting to the to the end of our time, and I want to ask more questions about your uh, your personal life. Like, so do you have time for hobbies, and what do you what do you do with them? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a good question. So I actually uh, I used to live in New York City, and now I don't. Um, and it was actually pre-corona. Uh, I moved to upstate New York where uh, I live on a lot of land and I'm fixing up a house and have chickens. Uh, I can and see so, the trees behind you. Yeah. <laughs> You're not in uh, Manhattan. <laughs> I, I am not, which ended up being an incredible blessing in this time. But um, yeah, so I uh, work on house projects and have raised chickens and perhaps other animals in the future and build a shed, hopefully, <laughs> that doesn't leak. Uh, and <laughs> that's how, what I do. How much trig are you using outside of this particular shed zero zero okay. trig that makes me feel a lot better <laughs> um, okay <laughs> yeah. do you do you pull out a calculator or a computer and do uh calculations for all house projects or do you uh eyeball some things i'm a big eyeballer i'm a big hold it up measure it mark it cut it uh mm-hmm Sounds like we are perhaps losing a little bit of internet here, but that's yeah, fine. We, We're getting yeah. to the end and that, that's fine. Um, do you think that becoming a leader, so I, I, you, you know, you've, over your course of your life, you have uh, relationships with folks, with your family. Do you think that becoming a leader and learning these lessons has positively or negatively impacted your life outside of work? I, probably both. Uh, one of the things, which I don't know if it's positive or negative, so maybe I'll take a safe middle road on this, is... Uh, <laughs> I find myself having conversations in my personal life that mimic conversations in my work life. So maybe that means that they're a little bit more thoughtful and intentional. Um, and maybe sometimes that means that they're a little bit more uh, canned or uh, sort of politic. Uh, like inauthentic? Is exactly. Is that a, a word you might use? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that feeling. So I think it's probably a little bit of both. It's probably taught me a lot about how to have relationships and, and manage relationships. And it probably also bleeds in a little bit uh, of the like, well, I can, you know, I know this management trick, not trick, mm-hmm. but like, I know this management trick. Oh, it's trick a trick. That... <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll call it a communication trick or tip, but, uh, and those probably bleed into my personal life as well. Yeah, I, I've I've also had that same feeling. Like, is it really me if I know how to get past this block? 
well, it's still me. Uh, I'm still aiming as long as the intentions are good, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm. Oh, cool. Uh, Kendall, <laughs> you're sitting there like you're sitting on your hands waiting to talk. Uh. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm just mostly listening. This is uh, this has been great. Um, well, as we as we get to end of time here, Tessa, where can people find you on the Internet if they want to know more about you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. I wouldn't say that I tweet often, but I am there. Uh, Coder Girl, which is spelled a very interesting way. So I would look at the show notes to see the spelling, um, which I may, you know, I've gotten comments about how it's not great that I refer to myself as a girl, even though I'm a woman and I'm in tech. And like, I there's there's validity to that. I may change it at some point, but I it is what it is for the moment. Um, and that's where you can find me on the internet. <laughs> I refer to myself as a pie. I don't know if that's wrong either. <laughs> there are no rules on the internet. On the internet, nobody knows if you are a manager. Yeah, true. <laughs> or something. That's um, true. Thank well, you thanks very so much, much for being with us, Tessa. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much.